Welcome to the Exam Study Expert Podcast, helping you ace your exams at school and university through the psychology of high performance and the science of studying smarter, not harder. It's my pleasure to introduce your host, the Cambridge-trained memory psychologist and exam success coach, William Wadsworth. Hello and welcome back to the Big Summer Rewind on the Exam Study Experts podcast. Today's episode is the last archive interview I've chosen to rebroadcast for you this summer for your enjoyment and delight ahead of us getting back into regular new episodes. Compared to my other two picks for rebroadcast, which featured Lucy Ratcliffe and Dr Adam Putnam, this rewind was actually a little bit more recent, coming out almost exactly one year ago today. But I think it's the perfect way to start getting ready for a new academic year, especially if you're due to leave home for college or university for the first time. Here to talk to us all about how to be a lazy genius about running your life, adapting to your new lifestyle, uh, so that you have the time and energy you need for your studies, here's none other than New York Times bestselling author Kendra Adachi. Kendra, a very warm welcome to the Exam Study Expert podcast. I'm so thrilled to be here, William. This is great. I think I'm right in saying you're a pretty high achieving student yourself I was. <laughs> back in the day. And Any reflections looking back on that? Yeah, well, I was the valedictorian of my high school class. And, and then in college, I, I did well, except in calculus, like that was not super great. The reason that I tried so hard at school was because I wasn't I wasn't very good at anything else. Like that's just what I was good at was was work and writing papers and learning. I could memorize math. I didn't understand math very well. Yeah, yeah. I memorized well, but um but I did just really I was a good student. I enjoyed kind of organizing my time and and so it it showed up well in high school, but I will say in college, no one told me that you could drop a class. Right. No one told me that you could change your mind, like if something wasn't working. And uh, my first semester of college, because I had passed my, um, I don't know if you you all have AP exams, but it's it's an advanced placement exam that you could get college credit for when you're in high school. Yeah, and yeah. technically, I my next math that I could have taken was like a second level calculus when I got into college. But I was not good at calculus. I just did okay on the test. And so yeah, yeah. I was in that class. I have never worked so hard before because I didn't know that I could do something different. I I wanted to be an English teacher. I didn't need you know level two calculus. So I, I do wish that someone had told me like, you're not a failure if you change your mind. You're not a failure if you drop a class. I think that's such such great advice. And um, yeah. that's perhaps a great segue into talking about what you're, you're best known for, which is perhaps just being the creator of the lazy genius way um, <laughs> you know, blog, podcast, and, and most recently, uh, you've you got a book coming come out about mm-hmm. it, um, which I've read and thoroughly enjoyed. Let's hear from the horse's mouth. What does it mean to be a lazy genius? Yeah. The basic idea is to be a genius about the things that matter and lazy about the things that don't. But we get to decide as individuals what matters to us and what doesn't matter to us. When I started college, there are so many voices telling you what needs to matter. Your social life matters, your grades matter, um, even just how you like there are right and wrong ways to get around campus. Like there are different things. People are always saying these things. And and it's sort of hard to 
know that you're allowed to do something different than what everyone is saying, that you can trust your own gut or understanding of what's in front of you. And so I love to just encourage people to have the permission to care about what you want to care about, to put your energy into what matters to you, sort of like that that calculus and science example of like, that wasn't really my passion. It didn't support what mattered. It didn't support my degree. Even it was just a class. It could have been any class. And so it's not that I am a bad student. If I had chosen a class where I could have actually been a bit more lazy, I would have wanted to do well, but maybe it wasn't as challenging, but that was so that I could have more margin and creativity and energy to write really great papers in these English classes and learn literature that I wanted to eventually teach one day. And and so I, I do think that there's this kind of all or nothing idea that we have, especially as we're trying to figure out how we're supposed to like be an an adult, how we're supposed to live our lives. And that if we don't do everything exactly right or very well, then we're we're failing at all of it. And so the idea behind the lazy genius way is that you you can fail at certain things, but it's not really failure. It's just, oh, I'm going to put my energy into something else that supports what matters to me. So that's the idea. I think that's really smart. One of the things I liked was how you talked about everything in terms of fundamental principles first before going on to some of the more concrete advice uh, sort of based on those principles second. I thought it might be quite helpful for people if you were able to highlight maybe sort of two or three of those principles that you feel might be particularly helpful for students. Absolutely. Well, one of the ones that I used all the time I didn't know that I had a name for it, but when I was a student was batching, uh, the idea of batching things where essentially you do the same type of thing at one time, the same type of task at one time. And I think that because when you're a student, there are so many things that you're having to think about, even perhaps more in some ways than when you're out of school and you have a job because your your energy is going into different subject matters. And you're having to think about, (laughs) you're having to challenge yourself um, in different subjects. Whereas when you have your job, you just have your job and you sort of know what the expectations are. But it's like when you're taking five classes at once, it's like five jobs, but you also have to make money. So you have to have a job (laughs) and then you want to have, you know, you want to have friends and take care of your, your place and trying to figure out what it means to live with other people that are not your family. And I mean, it's just a lot of things to think about. And so I love the idea of, of batching because it's sort of like, all right, rather than doing like a little bit every day to try to keep up with say my dorm or my apartment or whatever, Mm -hmm. in terms of cleaning it or something, it's easier for me to take two hours and just like go to town and get it done. And then that way I can have space to do these other things later. That might not work for everyone, but the idea of batching something, like what are you repeating a lot that you could do all at one time? Another principle that I think I wish that I had known and used more when I was a student and it is to schedule rest. We don't really think about scheduling rest. We just sort of crash when we're really tired. But there is such a gift in in actually being intentional about resting your brain and your body so that you can do your work well when you're awake. And, and then the third one I think that comes to mind, the third principle is to build the right routines. College for me was like one of the first times that I really was challenged to and, and excited even, not challenged in a bad way, but really excited to think about like, what's my routine going to be? Like, am I going to, am I going to have kind of the same vibe every day or start my day the same? And, and so one encouragement that I want to give to your listeners is a routine 
is not necessarily a step-by-step list of things that you do. It's not, I get up at this time and I drink from this coffee cup and then I walk around this block and that kind of thing. The point of a routine is it's actually an on-ramp to a certain feeling or energy or um, just how you want the space to feel at that time. So if you're going into studying and you have a routine that kind of gets you into a focused headspace, what are some of the things that you could do that could get you there? But if you, for example, are studying in a different location and you're not able to do the same thing that you would do if you were in your dorm room or your apartment, you can still recognize like, oh, but my point is I'm trying to focus on uh, the energy that I need to do this work. And so again, you can kind of change the components of the routine, but the the point and the direction is the same. And so those are three that I think uh, come to mind the most for being a student for sure. Nice, nice. I think some some great examples, and I'm sure we'll kind of come back to uh, practical applications of those. Just instantly batching. I mean, when I did stumbled across the same idea for myself when I was a student, the first and biggest thing I applied it to was emails and laundry. <laughs> well, two things: emails and laundry. And instead of checking email, you know, five times a day, and it would add up to. God knows how many uh, hours each day. Right. Um, I'd schedule one slot just after lunch, and that was the time I checked my emails, and that was it. Exactly. Uh, and I blitz it all done. Then there's a kind of phenomenon we sometimes talked about: switching cost when you switch in and out of tasks. That might be an actual measurable time when it takes you to get your laptop out, open up your inbox, get into email answering mode. But there's also a switching cost at the back end as well, because as soon as you've got out of your email inbox, you've got all those thoughts of emails and messages and, oh, I wonder what she's going to say about this. I wonder what my professor's going to come back to me on that. You've got all those thoughts rattling around in your brain and it makes it a little harder to concentrate on what's coming next. So okay. it made a huge difference for me to start batching that. And I think pretty much from day one, I was I was, I was batching my laundry. <laughs> uh, I won't say how often, <laughs> sure. um, but, you know, why, why don't we kind of use that as a bit of a segue? So, uh, you know, for anyone that is about to go to college, about to go to university, and they're starting to have to sort of worry about these things, looking after their clothes and their kitchen and their cleanliness in the bedroom for the first time. Any advice on what to expect and maybe how to manage some of those challenges and make them feel a bit a bit less daunting? Yeah, that's such a great question. And again, it's it's not something that anyone really teaches you how to how to do, right. how to think about. It's so strange. We're just thrown into this like pit of be a grown up, and it, no one tells you what to do. So yeah, yeah. I, I think the, the thing that is one of the most key things is you get to decide what clean means. And if you are living with other people, if you have roommates, you have to also uh, take into account their definition of clean. I experienced this with my husband. We've been married for almost 20 years and we will, you know, I'll say, Hey, I'm going to run out when I come home. It would be so amazing for my like mental health. If the living room was clean, like you don't have to, but if you can, Oh, it would be so, so great. And he's like on it. Can't wait. And I get home and it's sort of clean, but it's not clean, not necessarily by my standards, but it's more my definition of what clean is. And so that's really the place I think is important to start is when you're taking care of your stuff don't feel so much pressure that everything has to be completely void of dust and dirt. There can be no piles ever, but just give yourself like a manageable expectation of what does clean mean to me? Does it mean tidy? Does it mean shiny? It doesn't have to necessarily be any of those things, but just be realistic with yourself about those expectations, but then ask whoever you're living with the same question. Like, I think this is clean. I think this kitchen is clean. 
do you think this kitchen is clean? <laughs> and then yeah. you sort of avoid those like quiet resentments or arguments that you have on the inside, but never say out loud, uh, where you're just like saying what the thing is and you're kind of able to work with the people you're living with. So that's kind of like one way of seeing it. But then another that I think this is a principle in, in the book in the lazy genius way mm. is to put everything in its place. So that means everything needs a place. One thing that I was thinking about in terms of like organizing your room, let's say, when putting everything in your place, I don't think stacks of things serve you very well because mm. it's not really a place. It's just a stack. But let's say that you have like a stack of notebooks or do people still use paper in school? Like I had all the papers. Yeah. They're still okay. Fantastic. Yeah. I don't yeah, even yeah. know. Um, I Maybe kids, a little less. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I just sort of dated myself so extremely. We barely had computers when I was in college. Isn't that hilarious? Okay. So um, we, you know, if you think you have like a stack of papers or, or even, even textbooks sometimes, rather than li- having those things just survive in stacks on your desk, have like a tray for the papers. It's a place. It feels more together and and clean by a certain definition. It just feels like something has a place rather than just sitting there. You have a st- stack of textbooks. Again, instead of just leaving them on your desk, like you have like a little, almost like you could do a bookshelf or like a little wire crate even, like something really small. It's just to give things a place. And if you start to find that there are certain items in your space that just keep being out all the time, number one, it could be that they don't have a place um, that you like don't really know even where to, to put them away. That could also indicate that they don't matter as much to you. Like if it's just sort of, you can't really find a place for it, you know, it doesn't matter. Or it could indicate the other side. This thing is always out. It matters so deeply. It matters a lot because it's in my line of vision. I don't want to put it away. So maybe you can find a new place for it where it stays in sight, but it, it still is contained so that your space doesn't feel quite as scattered. So those are the two things. You decide what clean is and put everything in its place. That sounds good. That sounds good. And um, let's 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 come into the kitchen. It may not be a space we've been in very much before, depending on what our uh, family home uh, and our upbringing looked like. Yeah. Where do we start with starting to to find our way around shopping and cooking for ourselves? Yeah. What should we expect of ourselves? Particularly maybe if if it's not something we've done much of before. Exactly. It is such a daunting thing to just have to suddenly feed yourself. <laughs> like yeah. when I think when I think about the transition of that, when I I used the college like cafeteria for most of my time when I was in college, but I got married when I was in college and realized I didn't know how to cook anything. And it really is sort of a jarring experience. And so I think a wonderful, wonderful place to start is if you try, if a person tries to just learn how to cook, if that's what you say, I'm going to learn how to cook. Well, you will never not be learning how to cook. Like that is too Mm. big, right? And so if we can narrow this in, I think a great place to start is to pick like five meals simple meals. So maybe like a pasta, maybe something that's like on a, um, like on a sheet tray or, um, like a sheet pan type meal, or, you know, you can learn how to like do like a stir fry or some sort of soup or, but pick like a couple of categories and foods that you enjoy eating foods that maybe use like similar ingredients. So you don't feel like you have to, you know, learn how to, how to deal with 20 different ingredients. You can learn to deal with six. Um, but just start with a good limit of, I'm going to learn these five recipes and I'm going to feel pretty good about them 
And then maybe you can add another five. And if it takes an entire year, because eating as a student, I feel like is really different because you're going out a lot. You're eating, you know, ramen noodles or whatever it is that you're sure. getting. Um, then, you know, you you might not have as much practice. So the times that you do go in, decide once. That is a, another principle in the book is to go ahead and just make the decision one time of what you're probably going to cook when you go cook rather than just choosing from the entire internet or from every cookbook that you ever see. I was in London three years ago. It was the first time I'd ever been. Nice. And it was amazing. And I found a bookstore that was all cookbooks. Like it was just a bookstore of cookbooks. And I thought, I mean, I thought I was going to like fly away on like the cloud of <laughs> happiness because it's so amazing. But I was overwhelmed and I love, I'm a good cook. I've been cooking a long time and I love food. And so I think it's even opening one cookbook can be very intimidating to someone who's never cooked before. So to go for, you know, look for a, a cookbook or maybe a, a, a website or even like a parent, you know, who like just start really, really small, decide these are the four or five things that I'm going to learn. You have to start somewhere and just stick with really, really simple things and learn how to use a knife. Google like knife skills, watch some YouTube videos, learn how to use a knife. It will be such a gift for you to learn how to do that. But don't feel badly when you burn things. Don't feel badly that you can only cook a couple of things. Like this is such a long game. Learning to feed yourself is a lifelong endeavor. So just be patient and be kind to yourself with it. And it's all going to be okay. Absolutely. I know something that's quite important to you is being able to cook for, for friends and, and the joy of, of doing that. Um, maybe once we've got our first couple of recipes under our belt, um, <laughs> Maybe just say a few words about about that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I think that we tend to put so much pressure on ourselves to perform well when we're entertaining. You know, it feels like such a, a big deal to have friends over. And I would just encourage everyone that the most important thing, if you think back to experiences that you've had hanging out with friends in their own home, you likely don't remember the food so much, unless like someone's grandmother made like a family recipe, right. that kind of thing. But really you remember the environment, you remember the connection between people. Like that's why we have people over. We don't have people over to feed them impressive food. We have people over to be together. Yeah. So I would encourage people to invite people over, even if you don't know how to cook, have people for a meal, even if you don't know how to cook, it could be a order pizza, exactly yeah. order pizza, everybody bring your own food. You could do like, um, have everybody bring something to contribute to like a big wooden charcuterie board type thing. Like you bring salami, you bring this cheese, you bring a dried fruit, you bring a fresh fruit, you bring the like whatever it is, and then just pile everything up on it together, which is almost its own kind of really special experience. So you don't have to pull out a knife or a pot or turn on a stove to feed and gather. It's just a matter of thinking like, what matters here? We're always starting with what matters. And what matters is just connecting with people. So the easiest way that you can do that without turning the spotlight back on yourself of trying to be really impressive, of being nervous about what people are going to think about your food, trying something completely new that you've never done before, and then beating yourself up for it not going well because you've never tried it in front of people. And, um, so remember what matters. Connection is what matters. And I swear, piling food already made food onto like a big board is the most magical meal experience. Like no one, 
no one dislikes that kind of meal, hummus and crackers and like, you know, picnic type stuff, like all on a big yeah. board. So that I feel like that could be a really fun way for, for students, especially to come together. Nice. Takes me back to, to picnics in the summer where we used to do quite similar things. Um, in England, you don't get a too much very nice weather so <laughs> you make the most of it when you can right um, right that was, that was very special yeah. um while we're talking about friends I'd, I'd love to hear a bit more about your thoughts on, on relationships and managing friendships at, at college and university because it can be so difficult we've got so much of our time committed away not only to classes but also to whatever extracurricular stuff we're into sport music drama whatever and then we've got all the stuff we've just been talking about you know you need to maintain some kind of order in your room and in your kitchen and so forth and it feels like making time for for the social stuff that can be can be a little bit of a, a challenge what would your what would your advice be on kind of navigating that and getting the balance right yeah well i think that in relationships i don't know if there is a right i think that perhaps that's even a really beautiful place to start because a lot of us often do think like am i doing this right <laughs> am i yeah. am i speaking in a way that is going to endear me to these people are these the right friends for me is this the right community for me and there are so many things that we tend to put morality on the right and wrongness of things and i think relationships are far too nuanced to to do that and so there are ways though that i think that we can be ourselves um that feel very authentic and connect with people without my sounding too much like a like an after school special of just be yourself. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that's incredibly valuable, incredibly valuable advice. That's why we hear it so much to be yourself. But maybe a, a finer point on that is to not hide the specifics of who you are. When we're making friends, I know when I when I was a student and even even as an adult, even now sometimes, when you start to kind of find your way navigating in a new social environment and like, are these people going to be friends? We tend to almost like um, make our our edges a little smoother or we want to be a little bit more, not average, but like you don't want to stir too many, uh, stir too many pots, ruffle too many feathers. Like, are they going to think this about me or whatever? And instead of sort of becoming almost like a lukewarm version of yourself in order to fit, don't hide the specifics. I once told this story on my um, website a while ago about I was on a bus uh, traveling back home from a trip with a, a bunch of other people. And I was walking back to the back of the bus, the, the bathroom at the back of the bus. And as I was, as I was going back to my seat, I heard someone say the word Legolas from Lord of the Rings. And I was like, wait, what? And I kind of turned and I just sort of stood there and I was listening and they said a couple of other things, but, and I don't remember the exact details of, of the conversation. I just remember being like, oh, these people like talking. <gasps> I these are my people. Like we were, I was at the end of a trip and it's not like you walk into a conversation. And I'm like, any Tolkien fans? Like, can anybody yeah, want to yeah. talk about me? You know? <laughs> um, that's not really how it works. But, but if I, um, these two, these two women were talking about talking to each other and I, rather than being like, I'm not going to, they don't know me. I'm a stranger. I'm not going to just like interrupt their conversation. I was like, I'm not going to hide this specific part of me. I love these stories and I'm going to I'm going to kindly, like appro socially appropriately, but I'm going to be like, hey, are you guys, are you guys talking about Lord of the Rings? <laughs> and yeah. I squatted down in that bus next to them. And we still keep in touch now. And that was like 
That was years ago. And it was because I wasn't afraid and they weren't afraid to let those specific things kind of shine through. So don't hide the specifics. Don't don't assume that no one else in the room enjoys that very niche thing that you really like to do. Be kind of brave enough to say that out loud. The other thing I would say is the idea of saying yes. When I was in college, you know, you get like invitations. Like I remember this friend of a friend was like, hey, I'm going to play racquetball. Do you want to go play with me? William, I am not an athletic human being. Um, <laughs> it is not in my skill set at all. And I I wanted to say no. My my default was to say no, but I didn't know a lot of people. And I just had this like this thing shoot up my spine where it was like, you need to say yes. You don't have to be amazing at racquetball for this to be an enjoyable experience to make a friend and just say yes. I remember some people that I just met, like on the quad, they said, we're going to go down the street and, you know, we're going to go get coffee or whatever. Do you want to come? I didn't know their names, but we had been talking, you know, it was like the first week of school. And I said, yeah, sure. Let's do it. So don't hide your specifics. Don't hide those edges. And also say yes. Obviously there is, it's important to say like, if your, if your gut is like, I need to say no, because this is an unsafe situation, that is a different story. But when you're just afraid of like being accepted or you're just not really sure if you're going to fit in, take the risk of that. Say yes. Say yes. Yeah. I think say yes is wonderful. And and I love what your your thoughts on the, you know, not hiding who you are. It it feels better to be true to yourself and, and in a way it's such a weight off your shoulders when you can just feel completely relaxed and you know those around you are seeing you for, for who you are and the bonds you make are, are all the stronger for it. And I think the more that we do that too, William, we give other people permission to do the same. If yeah. we feel sure and confident, and I don't mean confident in a narcissistic way, when you're just yeah, yeah. sure and grounded in, in who you are in a room, people sense that. That is a really charismatic way to be. Even if you're quiet, um, that is such a charismatic way to be. And then it does. It just kind of invites other people to be themselves too. And what a gift that is that you can give to others. Absolutely. So just one other thing I wanted to, to circle back on your principle of making sure you have enough time to yourself to yeah. to rest and recharge is, is so important. Any further sort of specifics you might give maybe on mm. sort of scheduling rest both within the day and maybe kind mm. of longer bouts of rest within the week? Yeah, no, that's such a good question. Rest looks different for everyone. Rest is not always a nap or a quiet walk or reading a book. It's not necessarily that. Rest can be like a loud, a lively conversation with people. It depends on who you are. It depends on what makes you feel like yourself. And so I think that that is a really important place to start. If you are especially like a very extroverted person and being in class all day is actually kind of draining. The thought of someone being like, you should rest. And you're like, I mm, please yeah. don't, what? <laughs> like it sounds yeah, like the worst yeah. thing because, because, um, most of our cultural definitions of rest are stillness and quiet and solitude. And that is just not the case for everyone. And so just to remember that, to pay attention to your own 
energy and what makes you feel refueled. Because isn't that the point for us is that we are refueling ourselves and we all do that differently. Of course, we all need to sleep. That's kind of a different conversation. But in terms of just sort of stepping away from the things that are more or less like work and responsibility and even creativity, sometimes we need to, we need to rest so that we can come back like fully energized for the creative work that we're doing to name what rest looks like for you and that that is different for every person. Would you sort of tend to recommend planning in advance when you might Mm. need to take that rest or reacting to how you feel in the moment? What a great question that is too. I, I think that one thing that was really helpful for me and actually continues to be in sort of scheduling life, so to speak, is, you know, there are certain things that are kind of fixed uh, decisions in our calendar. When you go to class, you know, that's yeah. that's attached to a time. Something that could be really helpful for people, it was for me, was to treat school like a job, like a nine to five job. And now again, you could change those hours depending on like your energy. But for me, I'm actually a morning person. I get most of my work done. I have a lot of energy in the morning. It doesn't matter if you have an eight o'clock class, you know, I would still start at eight o'clock and I would look over my notes and I would work on a paper and, and I would take a lunch break and, you know, I would obviously go to my class in those times. But then when my, the end of my day, the end of my job came, I would be done. And I had the entire evening to rest or be with friends or whatever the case may be. And so it's, it's harder to, to schedule rest when your days all look different from each other, which is very common in, in college because your classes are at different times and, and it's all scattered about based on when things are due and all that. And so it could be, this is almost like, in some ways, this is almost like a, like a form of batching where you just choose every day. The things within that time frame might move around, but every day for the same time frame, I'm going to work on my studies. I'm going to do this. And then that helps you more easily plan when to actually rest and start to pay attention to that. And, and I think kind of back to the, the first point of like what specifically makes you feel rested. Also, when in the day do you specifically work the best? Because it could be my work day was perfect from like eight to four or whatever. Some people like my husband, he, he will, (laughs) I will actually wake up like, because our daughter, you know, wakes up in the middle of the night or something and I'll see the light on still in the living room. And I go out three in the morning and I go out there and he's working. Like, why are you working? I did. It took me a long time to realize like his like prime hours are in the middle of the night. It's so strange. It's not strange. It's different. It's it's just different for me. And so even paying attention to that, like just to treat it like a job, your job could be like a second shift job. It could be like, I'm going to do my school from dinner until two in the morning and then I'm going to sleep. And then I'm going to have the whole like first half of the day. Like, so to pay attention to who you are and what you need and what your energies are and when you best work, when do you need the rest the most? And, and to kind of like give yourself some limits in your, in your calendar, in your day for that, so that things have a much easier time landing where they need to land. I think that's smart. This has been such a, you know, a wide ranging and, and interesting conversation. I'm just conscious we're coming up to probably coming up to time now. So, you know, I just want to say thank you for being so generous with your advice. And I wondered if you had any closing comments to leave listeners with, perhaps in particular, uh, because I know you spend much of your time writing for a predominantly female audience. 
any special words of advice to our female listeners? I think that I would just encourage all of us, no matter where we are and what we're doing in our life, I constantly need to be reminded to be kind to myself. That is one of the principles in the book. And I think it's one of the things that might sound sort of simplistic or self-congratulatory a little bit like, well, okay, fine. But we are often very, very hard on ourselves. And in some ways, that's a really beautiful thing because we we want to be challenged. We want to hold ourselves to standards. We want to do our best. We want to be good citizens. You know, there's so many things that are important. But I do feel like there comes a point where our posture towards ourselves, especially when we're trying to figure out like how to be a person, how to manage all of these things that we've been talking about for the first time, we have a posture towards ourselves of, you better get this together. You better get this right. Or if you don't get this right, or you don't get all of it right, then you might as well just give up on all of it. That is not a kind posture. We would never treat anyone in our lives that we love that way. We would never say like, you're not cooking for yourself the way that you hoped for. You should just like stop trying at everything. You know, like we just wouldn't do that. But I think as humans, we we just are very, very hard on ourselves. And so I want to I want to encourage everyone to to just be kind. Advice to women. I just want to encourage women. Things are so much different now than they were 20 years ago or however long when I was in when I was in college. But I want you to know and hear that your voice as a woman belongs in the room just as much as the men in the room. And actually, and it's not just women and men, we're all allowed to take up space. Every single person is allowed to take up space and say what they need to say. And I think the more that we do that, you know, that's kind of going back to that, um, that friendship thing, like the hiding those specific parts of who we are and kind of shrinking in so that we don't ruffle feathers or um, stand out too much. Or I just want to encourage you that I don't know too many people in my life or in my own personal experience, when I have shrunk back, when I have not spoken, when I really, really felt like I should, I often regretted not doing it. I regretted hiding those edges. I regretted hiding the specifics and not letting my voice be heard, ashamed of the space I took up. And so I feel like that's important for everyone to hear that your voice matters. You're allowed to take up space. And we all need each other. I, I couldn't agree more. And and that feels like a great note to wrap up a great conversation. Um, thank you. Uh, if anyone's wanting to go a bit deeper and and discover some more of the principles and and learn a bit more about your your you know fantastic advice and all this stuff, where would you where would you point them to? Yeah. Well, the book is called The Lazy Genius Way, and I just found out yesterday, William, that it is a New York Times bestseller. So wow, congratulations. that's a really exciting <laughs> thing. It's kind of wild. It's a little, it's, I will never, I will never not feel strange saying that sentence out loud. Um, <laughs> but, but I'm, I'm really thrilled because it means the book is resonating with people and that just means the world to me. So the book is The Lazy Genius Way, Embrace What Matters, Ditch What Doesn't, and Get Stuff Done. And you can buy it where books are available. Obviously it is available with, um, some international because I'm obviously based in the US. And I know that I have some readers in um, in England who have bought the book. So I, I know it is available. Um, I, I typed it into Google Shopping and there were a few different options and I just went for the one with the fastest delivery time. So. Perfect. Perfect. And then I have a, a podcast. Um, if 
If you're a a listener of content rather than a reader, I have a podcast called The Lazy Genius Podcast. And the episodes are very, very topic driven. They're very specific. They're usually around 20 minutes. If you are trying to figure out like how to do all of these specific things, um, I have been told that I am the home ec teacher that everyone needs um, because the podcast episodes, like I have episodes called How to Cook Chicken, How to Make Soup how to do laundry. Like I really do have those things. So you can kind of scroll through the archives of the Lazy Genius podcast and listen to anything that sounds interesting. And highly recommend people do. Um, Kendra, thank you so much once again. This has been fantastic. It has. Thanks, William, for having me. Wasn't that wonderful? If you're feeling inspired, why not leave us a rating and a review in your podcast app? Thanks again for listening and see you soon.